Letter 80, Part 1 of Letters of John Keats to His Family and Friends Edited by Sidney Colvin This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo To George and Georgiana Keats Hampstead, about December 18, 1818 My dear brother and sister, you will have been prepared before this reaches you for the worst news you could have nay if haslam's letter arrives in proper time i have a consolation in thinking that the first shock will be passed before you receive this the last days of poor tom were the most distressing nature but his last moments were not so painful and his very last was without a pang I will not enter into any parsonic comments on death, yet the common observations of the commonest people on death are as true as their proverbs. I have scarce a doubt of immortality of some nature or other, neither had Tom. My friends have been exceedingly kind to me, every one of them. Brown detained me at his house. I suppose no one could have had their time made smoother than mine has been during poor tom's illness i was not able to write and since his death the task of beginning has been a hindrance to me within this last week i have been everywhere and i will tell you as nearly as possible how all go on with dilk and brown i am quite thick with brown indeed i am going to domesticate that is we shall keep house together I shall have the front parlor, and he the back one, by which I shall avoid the noise of Bentley's children, and be the better able to go on with my studies, which have been greatly interrupted lately, so that I have not the shadow of an idea of a book in my head, and my pen seems to have grown too gouty for sense. How are you going on now? The goings-on of the world makes me dizzy. There you are with Birkbeck, here I am with Brown. Sometimes I fancy an immense separation, and sometimes, as at present, a direct communication of spirit with you. That will be one of the grandeurs of immortality. There will be no space, and consequently, the only commerce between spirits will be by their intelligence of each other, when they will completely understand each other, while we in this world merely comprehend each other in different degrees. The higher the degree of good, so higher is our love and friendship. I have been so little used to writing lately, that I am afraid you will not smoke my meaning, so I will give an example. Suppose Brown or Haslam, or any one whom I understand in the next degree to what I do you, were in America. They would be so much the farther from me in proportion as their identity was less impressed upon me. Now the reason why I do not feel at the present moment so far from you is that I remember your ways and manners and actions. I know your manner of thinking, your manner of feeling. I know what shape your joy or your sorrow would take. I know the manner of your walking, standing, sauntering, sitting down, laughing, punning, and every action so truly that you seem near to me. You will remember me in the same manner and the more when I tell you 
that I shall read a passage of Shakespeare every Sunday at ten o'clock. You read one at the same time. We shall be as near each other as blind bodies can be in the same room. I saw your mother the day before yesterday, and intend now frequently to pass half a day with her. She seemed tolerably well. I called in Henrietta Street, and so was speaking with your mother about Miss Millar. We had a chat about heiresses. She told me, I think, of seven or eight dying swains. Charles was not at home. I think I have heard a little more talk about Miss Kiesel. All I know of her is she had a new sort of shoe on, a bright leather like our knapsacks. Miss Millar gave me one of her confounded pinches. N.B. did not like it. Mrs. Dilk went with me to see Fanny last week, and Haslam went with me last Sunday. She was well. She gets a little plumper and had a little color. On Sunday, I brought from her a present of face greens and a work bag for Mrs. D. They were really very pretty. From Walthamstow, we walked to Bethnal Green, where I felt so tired from my long walk that I was obliged to go to bed at ten. Mr. and Mrs. Kiesel were there. Haslam has been excessively kind, and his anxiety about you is great. I never meet him, but we have some chat thereon. He is always doing me some good turn. He gave me this thin paper for the purpose of writing to you. I have been passing an hour this morning with Mr. Lewis. He wants news of you very much. Hayden was here yesterday. He amused us much by speaking of young Hopner, who went with Captain Ross on a voyage of discovery to the Poles. The ship was sometimes entirely surrounded with vast mountains and crags of ice, and in a few minutes not a particle was to be seen all round the horizon. Once they met with so vast a mass that they gave themselves over for lost. Their last resource was in meeting it with a bowsprit, which they did, and split it asunder, and glided through it as it parted for a great distance, one mile and more. Their eyes were so fatigued with the eternal dazzle and whiteness that they lay down on their backs upon deck to relieve their sight on the blue sky. Hopner describes his dreadful weariness at the continual day, the sun ever moving in a circle round above their heads, so pressing upon him that he could not rid himself of the sensation even in the dark hold of the ship. The Eskimo are described as the most wretched of beings. They float from their summer to their winter residences and back again, like white bears on the ice floats. They seem never to have washed, and so when their features move, the red skin shows beneath the cracking peel of dirt. They had no notion of any inhabitants in the world but themselves. The sailors, who had not seen a star for some time, when they came again southwards, on the hailing of the first revision of one, all ran upon deck with feelings of the most joyful nature. Hayden's eyes will not suffer him to proceed with his picture. His physician tells him he must remain two months more inactive. Hunt keeps on in his old way. I am completely tired of it all. He has lately published a pocket-book called The Literary Pocket-Book full of the most sickening stuff you can imagine. 
Reynolds is well. He has become an Edinburgh reviewer. I have not heard from Bailey. Rice I have seen very little of lately, and I am very sorry for it. The Miss R's are all as usual. Archer, above all people, called on me one day. He wanted some information, by my means, from Hunt and Hayden, concerning some man they knew. I got him what he wanted, but knew none of the whys and wherefores. Poor Kirkman left Wentworth Place one evening, about half-past eight, and was stopped, beaten, and robbed of his watch in Pond Street. I saw him a few days since. He had not recovered from his bruises. I called on Hazlitt the day I went to Romney Street. I gave John Hunt extracts from your letters. He has taken no notice. I have seen Lamb lately. Brown and I were taken by Hunt to Novello's. There we were devastated and excruciated with bad and repeated puns. Brown don't want to go again. We went the other evening to see Brutus, a new tragedy by Howard Payne, an American. Keene was excellent. The play was very bad. It is the first time I have been since I went with you to the Lyceum. Mrs. Braun, who took Brown's house for the summer, still resides in Hampstead. She is a very nice woman, and her daughter, Senior, is, I think, beautiful and elegant, graceful, silly, fashionable and strange. We have a little tiff now and then, and she behaves a little better, or I must have sheared off. I find by a sidelong report from your mother that I am to be invited to Miss Millar's birthday dance. Shall I dance with Miss Waldgrave? Ah, I shall be obliged to shirk a good many there. I shall be the only dandy there, and indeed I merely comply with the invitation that the party may not be entirely destitute of a specimen of that race. I shall appear in a complete dress of purple, hat and all, with a list of the beauties I have conquered embroidered around my calves. Thursday, December 24. This morning is so very fine. I should have walked over to Walthamstow if I had thought of it yesterday. What are you doing this morning? Have you a clear hard frost as we have? How do you come on with a gun? Have you shot a buffalo? Have you met with any pheasants? My thoughts are very frequently in a foreign country. I live more out of England than in it. The mountains of Tatari are a favorite lounge. If I happen to miss the Allegheny Ridge, or have no whim for a Savoy. There must be great pleasure in pursuing game. Pointing your gun, no, it won't do. Now, no, rabbit. It, now, bang, smoke and feathers. Where is it? Shall you be able to get a good pointer or so? Have you seen Mr. Trimmer? He is an acquaintance of Peachy's. Now, I am not addressing myself to G minor, and yet I am, for you are one. Have you some warm furs? By your next letters, I shall expect to hear exactly how you go on. Smother nothing. Let us have all, fair and foul, all plain. Will the little baron have made his entrance before you have this? Kiss it for me, and when it can first know a cheese from a caterpillar, show it to my picture twice a week. You will be glad to hear that Gifford's attack upon me has done me service. 
it has got my book among several sets nor must i forget to mention once more what i suppose haslam has told you the present of twenty-five pound note i had anonymously sent me i have many things to tell you the best way will be to make copies of my correspondence and i must not forget the sonnet i received with the note last week i received the following from woodhouse whom you must recollect Quote, my dear keats i send enclosed a letter which when read take the trouble to return to me the history of its reaching me is this my cousin miss frogley of hounslow borrowed my copy of endymion for a specified time before she had time to look into it she and my friend mr high neville of escher who was house surgeon to the late princess charlotte insisted upon having it to read for a day or two and undertook to make my cousin's peace with me on account of the extra delay neville told me that one of the misses porter of romance celebrity had seen it on his table dipped into it and expressed a wish to read it i desired he should keep it as long and lend it to as many as he pleased provided it was not allowed to slumber on any one's shelf i learned subsequently from miss frogley that these ladies had requested of mr neville if he was acquainted with the author the pleasure of an introduction about a week back the enclosed was transmitted by mr neville to my cousin as a species of apology for keeping her so long without the book that she sent it to me knowing that it would give me pleasure i forward it to you for somewhat the same reason or principally because it gives me the opportunity of naming to you which it would have been fruitless to do before the opening there is for an introduction to a class of society from which you may possibly derive advantage as well as qualification if you think proper to avail yourself of it in such a case i should be very happy to further your wishes but do just as you please the whole is entirely entre nous yours etc r w well now this is miss porter's letter to neville quote, dear sir as my mother is sending a messenger to escher i cannot but make the same the bearer of my regrets for not having had the pleasure of seeing you the morning you called at the gate i had given orders to be denied i was so very unwell with my still adhesive cold but had i known it was you i should have taken off the interdict for a few minutes to say how very much i am delighted with endymion i just finished the poem and have done as you permitted lent it to miss fitzgerald i regret you were not personally acquainted with the author for i should have been happy to have acknowledged to him through the advantage of your communication the very rare delight my sister and myself have enjoyed from the first fruits of genius i hope the ill-natured review will not have damaged or damped such true parnassian fire it ought not for when life is granted etc and so she goes on now i feel more obliged than flattered by this so obliged that i will not at present give you an extravaganza of a lady romancer i will be introduced to them if it be merely for the pleasure of writing to you about it 
i shall certainly see a new race of people i shall more certainly have no time for them hunt has asked me to meet tom moore some day so you shall hear of him the night we went to novellos there was a complete set to of mozart and punning i was so completely tired of it that if i were to follow my own inclinations i should never meet any one of that set again not even hunt who is certainly a pleasant fellow in the main when you are with him but in reality he is vain egotistical and disgusting in matters of taste and in morals he understands many a beautiful thing but then instead of giving other minds credit for the same degree of perception as he himself professes he begins an explanation in such a curious manner that our taste and self-love is offended continually hunt does one harm by making fine things petty and beautiful things hateful through him i am indifferent to mozart i care not for white bust and many a glorious thing when associated with him becomes a nothing this distorts one's mind makes one's thoughts bizarre perplexes one in the standard of beauty martin is very much irritated against blackwood for printing some letters in his magazine which were martin's property he always found excuses for blackwood till he himself was injured and now he is enraged i have been several times thinking whether or not i should send you the examiners as birkbeck no doubt has all the good periodical publications i will save them at all events i must not forget to mention how attentive and useful mrs bentley has been i am very sorry to leave her but i must and i hope she will not be much a loser by it bentley is very well he has just brought me a clothes basket of books brown has gone to town to-day to take his nephews who are on a visit here to see the lions i am passing a quiet day which i have not done for a long while and if i do continue so i feel i must again begin with my poetry for if i am not in action mind or body i am in pain and from that i suffer greatly by going into parties where from the rules of society and a natural pride i am obliged to smother my spirit and look like an idiot because i feel my impulses given way to would too much amaze them i live under an everlasting restraint never relieved except when i am composing so i will write away friday december twenty five i think you know before you left england that my next subject would be the fall of hyperion i went on a little with it last night but it will take some time to get into the vein again i will not give you any extracts because i wish the whole to make an impression i have however a few poems which you will like and i will copy out on the next sheet i shall dine with hayden on sunday and go over to walthamstow on monday if the frost hold i think also of going into hampshire this christmas to mr snooks they say i shall be very much amused but i don't know i think i am in too huge a mind for study i must do it i must wait at home and let those who wish come to see me i cannot always be how do you spell it traipsing here i must tell you that i have not been able to keep the journal or write the tale i promised 
now i shall be able to do so i will write to haslam this morning to know when the packet sails until it does i will write something every day after that my journal shall go on like clockwork and you must not complain of its dullness for what i wish is to write a quantity to you knowing well that dullness itself will for me be interesting to you you may conceive how this not having been done has weighed upon me i shall be able to judge from you next what sort of information will be of most service or amusement to you perhaps as you are fond of giving me sketches of character you may like a little picnic of scandal even across the atlantic but now i must speak particularly to you my dear sister for i know you love a little quizzing better than a great bit of apple dumpling do you know uncle redhall he is a little man with an innocent powdered upright head he lisps with a protruded underlip he has two nieces each one would weigh three of him one for height and the other for breadth he knew bartolozzi he gave a supper and ranged his bottles of wine all up the kitchen and cellar stairs quite ignorant of what might be drunk it might have been a good joke to pour on the sly bottle after bottle into a washing-tub and roar for more if you were to trip him up it would discompose a pigtail and bring his underlip nearer to his nose he never had the good luck to lose a silk handkerchief in a crowd and therefore has only one topic of conversation bartolozzi shall i give you miss brawn she is about my height with a fine style of countenance of the lengthened sort she wants sentiment in every feature she manages to make her hair look well her nostrils are fine though a little painful her mouth is bad and good her profile's better than her full face which indeed is not full but pale and thin without showing any bone her shape is very graceful and so are her movements her arms are good her hands baddish her feet tolerable she is not seventeen but she is ignorant monstrous in her behaviour flying out in all directions calling people such names that i was forced lately to make use of the term minx this i think not from any innate vice but from a penchant she has for acting stylishly i am however tired of such style and shall decline any more of it she had a friend to visit her lately you have known plenty such her face is raw as if she was standing out in a frost her lips raw and seem always ready for a pullet she plays the music without one sensation but the feel of the ivory at her fingers she is downright miss without one set off we hated her and smoked her and baited her and i think drove her away miss b thinks her a paragon of fashion and says she's the only woman she would change persons with what a stoop she is superior as a rose to a dandelion when we went to bed brown observed as he put out the taper what a very ugly old woman that miss robinson would make at which i must have groaned aloud for i'm sure ten minutes i've not seen the thing in kingston again george will describe him to you i shall insinuate some of these creatures into a comedy some day and perhaps have hunt among them scene 
a little parlor enter hunt gaddy hazlitt mrs novello ollier gaddy ha hunt got into your new house ha mrs novello seen altum and his wife mrs n yes with a grin it's mr hunt's isn't it gaddy hunt's no ha mr ollier i congratulate you upon the highest compliment i ever heard paid to the book mr hazlitt i hope you are well hazlitt yes sir no sir mr hunt at the music la biadina etc hazlitt did you ever hear this la biadina etc hazlitt oh no sir i never allier do hunt give it us over again divine gaddy divino hunt when does your pocket-book come out hunt what is this absorbs me quite oh we are spinning on a little we shall floridize soon i hope such a thing was very much wanting people think of nothing but money getting now for me i am rather inclined to the liberal side of things i am reckoned lax in my christian principles etc 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 december twenty nine it is some days since i wrote the last page and what i had been about since i have no idea i dined at haslam's on sunday with hayden yesterday and saw fanny in the morning she was well just now i took up my poem to go on with it but the thought of my writing so little to you came upon me and i could not get on so i began at random and i have not a word to say and yet my thoughts are so full of you that i can do nothing else i shall be confined at hampstead a few days on account of a sore throat the first thing i do will be to visit your mother again the last time i saw henry he showed me his first engraving which i thought capital mr lewis called this morning and brought some american papers i have not looked into them i think we ought to have heard of you before this i am in daily expectation of letters nil desperandum mrs abbey wishes to take fanny from school i shall strive all i can against that there has happened a great misfortune in the drew family old drew has been dead some time and lately george drew expired in a fit on which account reynolds has gone into devonshire he dined a few days since at horace twizzy's with liston and charles kemble i see very little of him now as i seldom go to little britain because the enway always seizes me there and john reynolds is very dull at home nor have i seen rice how are you now going on is a mystery to me i hope a few days will clear it up december thirty i never know the day of the month it is very fine here to-day though i expect a thunder-cloud or rather a snow-cloud in less than an hour i am at present alone at wentworth place brown being at chichester and mr and mrs dilk making a little stay in town i know not what i should do without a sunshiny morning now and then it clears up one's spirits dilk and i frequently have some chat about you i have now and then some doubt but he seems to have a great confidence 
I think there will soon be perceptible a change in the fashionable slang literature of the day. It seems to me that reviews have had their day, that the public have been surfeited. There will soon be some new folly to keep the parlors in talk. What it is I care not. We have seen three literary kings in our time, Scott, Byron, and then the Scotch novels. All now appears to be dead, or, I may mistake, literary bodies may still keep up at the bustle, which I do not hear. Hayden showed me a letter he had received from Tripoli. Ritchie was well, and in good spirits, among camels, turbans, palm trees, and sands. You may remember, I promised to send him an endymion, which I did not. However, he has one. You have one. One is in the wilds of America. The other is on a camel's back in the plains of Egypt. I am looking into a book of Du Bois's. He has written directions to the players. One of them is very good. In singing, never mind the music. Observe what time you please. It would be a pretty degradation indeed if you were obliged to confine your genius to the dull regularity of a fiddler, horsehair and cat's guts. No, let him keep your time and play your tune. Dodge him. I will now copy out the letter and sonnet I have spoken of. The outside cover was thus directed. Messrs. Taylor and Hesse, Booksellers, Number 93 Fleet Street, London and it contained this. Messrs. Taylor and Hesse are requested to forward the enclosed letter by some safe mode of conveyance to the author of Endymion, who is not known at Tynmouth, or, if they have not his address, they will return the letter by post, directed as below, within a fortnight. Mr. P. Fenwick, P.O. Tynmouth, 9th November, 1818. In this sheet was enclosed the following, with a superscription. Mr. John Keats, Tenmouth. Then came Sonnet to John Keats, which I would not copy for any in the world but you. You know that I scout mild light and loveliness, or any such nonsense in myself. Star of high promise, not to this dark age do thy mild light and loveliness belong for it is blind, intolerant, and wrong, dead to imperial soarings and the rage of scoffing spirits bitter war doth wage with all that bold integrity of song. Yet thy clear beam shall shine through ages strong to ripest times a light and heritage, and there breathe now who dote upon thy fame, whom thy wild numbers wrap beyond their being who love the freedom of thy lays their aim above the scope of a dull tribe unseeing and there is one whose hand will never scant from his poor store of fruits all thou canst want november eighteen eighteen turn over i turned over and found a twenty-five pound note now this appears to me all very proper. If I had refused it, I should have behaved in a very braggadocio dunder-headed manner. And yet, the present galls me a little, and I do not know whether I shall not return it if I ever meet with the donor after, whom to no purpose I have written, 
I have your miniature on the table, George, the great. It's very like, though not quite about the upper lip. I wish we had a better of your little George. I must not forget to tell you that a few days since I went with Dilk a shooting on the heath and shot a tomtit. There were as many guns abroad as birds. I intended to have been at Chichester this Wednesday, but on account of the sore throat, I wrote him, Brown, my excuse yesterday. End of letter 80, part 1